Hello, world. Today is, uh, let's see, Wednesday, July. Jesus, I can never get the date right. It's Wednesday, January 13th, um, 2016. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the Promotional More Practice live chat. Off the break, let me say I'm sorry for starting this late. Google was not very cooperative, so I had to do a bunch of things to fix it, uh, which finally worked, but is a giant pain in my ass. Um, so apologies for the delay. Thank you so much for sticking with me. Let's kick this off right away. A couple of housekeeping notes so that I can um, do this the right way. I spoke to some folks last week after my live chat. I got a couple of interesting responses. Uh, one was about uh, the significant strike definition um, from Fight Metric. Uh, let's see. Here we go. This is to clarify what the definition is. So last week I said it was any strike from distance. That's only half correct. The actual correct definition is um, fight metric counts significant strikes as any distance strikes plus impactful strikes in the clinch and impactful strikes on the ground. The essence of the stat is to really just eliminate the baby strikes that don't do anything in the clinch or on the ground. Significant strikes are the kinds of strikes that can do damage. So how they measure those ones that have impact on the clinch or the ground, you'll have to ask them, but that is the proper definition of a significant strike. It's not merely strikes from distance, but anything impactful in short range in the clinch, anything impactful for, let's say, ground and pound, right? So those would count as well. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing of housekeeping note I have to get out is, I can't remember who the reader was, but we had a debate online about whether or not Krokop had tested positive for anything. Now, my contention all along was that if you look at USADA and uh, various other testing agencies and sanctioning bodies, um, it is not at all uncommon for someone to be penalized for something they weren't actually caught for via a test. Um, sometimes, for example, in cases of previous cyclists, they've had bank records or uh, messages sent between two folks. That was enough to get someone to then write a confession that they had used some kind of substance or another. Now, whether those confessions were complete or not is up for debate, but it's not always the case that they're going to get you with tests. I was skeptical that that's what had happened with Krokop. Um, we still don't have any kind of complete confirmation at this point, but it does appear the most likely scenario is the one that he did not test positive for HGH and went ahead and admitted it anyway. And I, I, to what extent that written confession is uh, ultimately going to hold up, you know, you can decide that for a later debate. But to that reader... I just want to say you were right and I was wrong. So I want to start off that uh, chat this way. The last housekeeping note that I have to start today's episode, and again, all the apologies for starting late. Uh, folks have been asking about T-shirts. I had another meeting with the T-shirt maker. I don't have any update on when that's going to be out, but I can say that we're making some significant progress. We looked at some some mock-ups, some designs, so we're, we're, we're making some progress. So uh, I appreciate your continued patience for that, and uh, I haven't forgot about it. We actually had a call about it. We're going to keep going. It's going to be good, but just to give you an update, Barbas is down here. Oop. There we are. Let's do that, shall we? Make it a little bit easier to understand. Uh, okay. So there we go. Those are your three bits of housekeeping notes, the definition of significant strikes, um, the Mia culpa on Krokop and USADA in terms of whether or not he actually failed a test, and uh, the t-shirt stuff. With that out of the way, 
please give this video a thumbs up despite the fact that it was super late. Let folks know you're watching on any version of social media that you're out there using. And let's go ahead and kick these off. I'm going to try and get to as many as I can given the delay that I had. So first one up, McGregor uh, Dos Anjos, home tape official for UFC 197. Let's cut to the chase, Luke. What do you make of this fight announcement in general? Is this quick turnaround out of the UFC 200 playbook, meaning UFC is trying to hedge their bets that they can capitalize on one of these two fight outcomes being able to show up at UFC 200? Also, what do you think of Connor's chances against RDA initially? I'm not asking for a final pick, but initial thoughts on that fight. So let's start with some of the questions that you had right up front. Number one, what do you make of this announcement in general? Um, like you, I could not, like, or I should say like many of you, could not be more excited about it. I, I said all through the previous years, what I need the UFC to do is just make big fights. And certainly McGregor is a big fight um, anytime he competes. And certainly anytime you have two titles on the line, that's big. But it's more than that. They easily could have broken these two up and created two different events. And they both would have sold well. And they didn't do that. Now, they're trying to get timing worked out for UFC 200. But they still probably could have done that in different ways if they had, if it was really important to them to separate them. But they didn't. They're giving back to the customers to create the kinds of events um, that people want to see that make memories. You know, certainly Conor McGregor is doing his own part to then up the ante. So you have the fighter stepping up to the plate. You have the promoter giving back to the customers, and you have generally things working out in ways that uh, are are benefiting of the pay-per-view purchaser there. So to me, this is what I want. And, and folks are asking, what about the rest of the card? What about the rest of the card? Certainly, I hope it is stacked. Um, if they do that, I'll be even more pleased. But when you have somebody who is a title holder for the first time ever, well, I, you know, for the first time ever, you could get someone holding two titles at once, um, and then you have, you know, this rising sensation out of nowhere with Holly, not out of nowhere, but certainly unexpected rise uh, this late in her career in MMA, um, both being put together on one card uh, against Misha Tate, who herself is her own promotional force. It is just, it is a delight, man. It's a delight. These are the kinds of events you've been waiting for. These are the kinds of events that I think that UFC realized we're just better off making these than we are just constantly breaking things up and trying to have as many as possible with as thin as possible that we can get by. You know, not never too thin, never too many, I suppose, but really sort of pushing that boundary. I like that they're dialing that back. They haven't really scheduled that many events so far for the first quarter, which I also think is the right call. Um, you know, they're just doing what they can to guarantee quality either throughout when they have to or at the top when they can. And I really appreciate those two kinds of different efforts to make that work. Um, is the quick turnaround out of the UFC 200 playbook, meaning UFC is trying to hedge their best they can capitalize on one of these two fight outcomes? Yes, of course. You can see Barbas is bored. And then lastly, what do you think about Connor's chances against Dos Anjos initially? I'm not asking for a final pick, but initial thoughts on the fight. So I decided that the most important fight I could go back and watch that would give me the most amount of footage would be um, Dos Anjos versus... Pettis. So I went back and I watched that fight last night in anticipation of this chat. And a couple of things stood out to me. Number one, I think this is a very close fight. I looked at those odds uh, between the two, and I think there's there, the odds between them are very close. Um, let's just confirm that to be sure. Yeah, the odds makers have it as McGregor is a slight underdog or dead even in most places. So Dos Anjos, your very, very slight favorite. I think that's correct. I think he deserves to be your favorite, but only ever so slightly. My sense about this fight and watching him exchange with Pettis is that um, he cannot, Dos Anjos, he cannot exchange with him for very long in boxing range. This fight either has to be way on the outside for him or way on the inside or on top on the ground. 
or you know, or in the back on the ground, you know, playing the jujitsu game one step ahead is what I would put it. But I really think that as long as he's in that boxing range, and remember, Conor McGregor has a very long boxing range. Um, he will beat Dos Anjos quickly if that happens. Because there were times when Pettis was cracking him at the end of combinations, timing him when he wasn't moving his head. He moves his head at the beginning. He moves his head sometimes at the end. But there'll be these moments where he bop, bop, holds, and then waits for a reaction, and then goes again. And in those moments, Pettis was catching him with the left hand repeatedly. You know, if he can do that, if Pettis can, can, can do that from um, – from a non, what, what even wasn't Pettis' traditional stance, then McGregor's going to have some opportunities there too. Well, you know, interesting two southpaws that'll be coming in. So that'll be interesting how they match up there. But I, I just feel like as long as, as, I'm telling you, Dos Anjos can wear McGregor out on the ground, maybe even sub him. It will take a while, but he can do it, right? Uh, at kicking range, he can bludgeon him up. But the guy who's got the quickest answer is going to be McGregor between those two. McGregor still has a bigger reach than Dos Anjos. I think his power will translate just fine at 155. I think that um, I think he's going to be a handful. I think he's going to be an absolute nightmare handful for Dos Anjos. It, Dos Anjos can win that fight, and he should win that fight, provided he is really, really, really diligent about minding the range in which he competes. If he goes in there and tries to have these moments of pocket takeover, I don't know how much I like his chances. I really don't. I really don't. And the other part about it is, you know, yeah, he was able to wear on Pettis for 25 minutes. Okay, fair enough. I would expect that he's going to have to try and do that against McGregor as well. You know, uh, he's going to have to try and wear on him on top. He's going to have to try and wear on him on the outside. He's going to try and wear him on the inside. And, you know, we saw him put away Cerrone pretty easily. I don't see McGregor going down that easily. Even if you see this fight playing out to be Dos Anjos beating him up and taking advantage of the fact that he's got a little bit more well-rounded offense than Conor McGregor, because he does, um, there's still that issue, man, of of McGregor's hard to put away, bro. He's very, very, he's very durable for now. We'll see how much longer he can live on that chin. But for now, he's doing just fine. So so I think it's hugely competitive. And look, I, I'm probably just going to go ahead and outright pick Dos Anjos unless I have a late change of opinion and whatever. But I, I don't even want that to be some sort of indicator about what I really think is going to happen. Conor McGregor is the king of blowing away whatever your expectations are for this one. Like, to me, in a way, Conor McGregor's already won. He really has already won. Just to have the gall to go up and do this kind of thing, to, to, to force the promoter's hand to basically make this fight. Yes, it's in their interests, of course, but... Um, some things they, they wouldn't ordinarily want to do in terms of letting McGregor go up with the belt and, and things like that. So for me, it's um, you, the guy is such, he has such, he brings imagination to life, Conor McGregor. He, he defies expectations and rules and boundaries and things like that. So look, under the normal set of boundaries in which we operate, who should win this fight? Probably, probably Dos Anjos, probably. But in the way in which Conor McGregor is able to simply blow up your conceptions of what is and is not possible, I don't know how on earth you could count that guy out. I really have no idea. If you're going in there thinking, man, Dos Anjos is just going to maul him. I mean, look, maybe he will. You know, certainly didn't see Aldo getting knocked out in 13 seconds. Maybe maybe Dos Anjos returns the favor. I find it highly unlikely. I find it highly unlikely. I find that if the fight gets ended early, it is most likely going to be because McGregor ended it early. I'll put it this way. If the fight ends in the first three if the fight ends in the first two rounds i'm going to say that's because conor mcgregor did it 
you know, if I had to back, if someone said, okay, the fight was over, it ended in two rounds, gun to your head, who do you think won? I would say McGregor probably because I'm telling you, man, Dos Anjos is going to have to get inside and outside. The more he stands in that space, he's going to get he's going to get chewed to pieces, and we've already seen it. If McGregor doesn't have one-punch knockout power, boy, he's got something right behind it, something very, very close. His, he has fight-altering power when knuckles go to chin. The whole equation changes. Guys panic. They make bad decisions, a la Pettis versus Melendez. That's what you get a lot of when that happens. So so for me, the guy's already won. He's already tremendous. And if he can go in there and, and, um, and claim a second title in the UFC, be the first guy to do it, you know, my, what else do you say about that point? Pound for pound, best fighter in the sport, even above John Jones. And I think John Jones is a better fighter, but um, just in terms of you know establishing a, a resume, uh, <laughs> kind of hard to do that. Kind of hard to you know to conquer one division or you know or at least rise through it. I think to conquer it, you have to kind of defend the title a little bit. But okay, point taken. You know, certainly ran through the division, and then to jump up and beat the guy who ran through the other division, which is the most stacked one in MMA, and to hold both belts at the same time. You got to be kidding me, man! Just just the audacity to even try something like that is outrageous. And then you look at the odds and you think, wow, he's really not that far away at all. If he's if he even should be the underdog, uh, Conor McGregor's amazing. He's amazing. And if you're out there thinking Dos Anjos is just going to blow right through him, again, stranger things have happened. Maybe that happens. I find that to be highly unlikely. I find it to be very, very unlikely. He's going to have to wear on McGregor through four or five rounds, or um, he's going to get put away early. That, that, I don't see how anything else it can go. And by the way, we often talk about you know, how, how is McGregor's power going to translate at 155 and what's he going to look like at 155. And there's reasons to think that his frame fits better there. There's reasons to think his power will translate there. There are reasons to think the cut being less will enhance some of the other aspects of his movement that he might need. I just want to say, though, that we don't have a lot of data about this kind of thing. We don't have a lot of data about guys. Um, we, we have data about guys changing divisions but not so much in these circumstances where they're at the very elite of one and they're jumping to the very elite of the next. That's a pretty rare thing, so we don't have a lot of data on it, which is why I think there's a lot of just unknowns regarding this. So we'll see how things go, but um, I'm expecting a very, very, very competitive fight or a quick finish from McGregor. Someone says, Luke, do you see any parallels in the recent verdict that the NFL cheerleaders are now legally employees entitled to benefits? Uh, Look, I personally believe that there won't be many courts in the land that don't decide that the UFC fighters aren't employees, but until they may take that to court and they get reclassified, it is a pointless debate. Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts on the recent news that John Jones's brother Chandler OD'd on pills? It's a rumor. Um, I really hesitate to say anything else about this until it is confirmed fact. In your opinion, which champs will still have their belt by the end of 2016? And who will overtake the ones that lost them? Heavyweight, you have Verdum. What? I don't even know what you're saying. I'm just going to skip that one. Sorry, there's just too much going on there. Uh, look, is there a potential issue with ATT fighters abusing PEDs? With Yoel Romero's recent out-of-competition drug test failure, along with teammates T-Bow, Lombard, and Tiago Alves, could the team have a PED problem? I'm not pointing fingers at Robbie Lawler's recent career resurgence. Uh, has been sort, it has been nothing short of amazing. Again, I'm not pointing fingers, but as a UFC champ and the failure of several of his teammates, will eyes not be squarely set on him going forward? I think the eyes are going to be already set on him going forward. And you, know, you hear rumors about all kinds of camps. I've heard rumors about just about every camp doing any number of things to the extent that which we can substantiate those claims, you know, uh, is up for debate. Um, 
But, you know, ATT is a massive camp. And I think before you would say, um, you know, ATT has a problem, I would need to see it a little bit more common than it is in terms of these guys being caught. Certainly this looks poor. And maybe there is an issue. This might be just enough smoke. I guess what I'm saying is I need to see a little bit more smoke before I declare there being fire. Uh, okay. TJ Dillashaw, how much do you take into consideration TJ's record when picking who wins on Sunday? He only holds victories over two people still in the UFC, Henan Burrell twice and Joe Soto, who is likely to be cut himself. It's an interesting question. It's part of the debate that um, was brought up by um, – Dominic Cruz, no less than Dominic Cruz. Uh, hang on, I'm getting one second. Um, yeah, so let's pull up his record just for examination's sake. Who we get here? Um, it wasn't an argument that occurred to me necessarily. Um, until Dominic Cruz made it, it wasn't a point that stuck out in my brain. So if you look at, um, this is TJ Dillashaw's record. He has wins over, so he lost to John Dotson in his debut, UFC debut. Then he beat Willell Watson, Vaughn Lee, Issei Tamora, uh, Hugo Viana. He lost to Asun Salvia, split decision. Then he went on to beat Mike Easton, Henan Burrell, Joe Soto, and then Henan Burrell again. And so you ask, well, who has he beaten of, of significance? Um because, you know, Easton is gone. I think Viana is gone. Certainly Tamora, Lee, and Willow Watson are gone. Barrow is still there, but a shell of himself at this point. And Asunsaw, he lost to. So, uh, although somewhat controversially, I suppose. But uh, it's, it, it's, it's not a bad argument. It's not a bad argument. When you've beaten guys and then they no longer retain the ability to compete at that level, some folks will say, well, that's because you beat it out of them, right? You You ruined their capacity to compete at this level by the drubbing you gave them perhaps in the case of Barrow, if he goes in a skid you could say that um soto i think you know put up a decent fight but was basically overmatched and took the fight on late notice but for watson viana tomorrow and lee and watson uh those were all guys basically at a low ufc level um and beating them is uh indicative of something but i don't know what but the, the problem for me is is a couple of things Dillashaw doesn't look the same as he did when he fought. Maybe, maybe Easton was the fight where you really begin to see the changes. Um, but the guy who beat Viana and Tamora and Lee and Watson, just a very, very different kind of guy. Um, you know, what's interesting about watching the tape on this fight. People have been doing a lot of previews, and most of the previews have been quite good. And even the good ones, though, are, are including the one I was part of, BJJ Scout. It's very interesting because there's not much tape on these guys in the context in which they're going to be competing. So, for example, you have people saying, well, here's how Dodson caught um, Dillashaw. I, I really don't know how relevant that is anymore, um, to be perfectly honest, including the, in the individual mistakes he was making. And to that point, you see a lot of the footwork being examined of Cruz that has it's from the WEC. Again, I'm really not sure how that relevant that may be. Perhaps it is. Uh, certainly as a precursor to understanding what he's about to do, it's actually very valuable. Um, but what I'm expecting is this fight in terms of what it all means. This is a very different TJ Dillashaw, uh, certainly an improved one, how improved we're going to find out. And for Dominic Cruz, Dominic Cruz, and I made this point talking to, um, Sean Sheehan and 
Patrick Wyman online, they were arguing, I think quite correctly, that it's a little bit strange that people are very confident that Dominic Cruz is going to win because the guy has been out for the better part of three, four years in the last five. Um, that's a lot of time to miss. And sure, he came back and looked amazing against Mizugaki. He ain't fighting Mizugaki on Sunday. It's a, a very different thing. And so how can you possibly say not just the time off, but then he had three ACL surgeries and a groin tear and a wrist injury and whatever else he had. How could, If this was any other fighter, you would say these factors are way too – these are not extending – I mean, this, this are these are substantive matters in terms of defining who's going to win and lose that fight on Sunday. How can we simply look past that? If you don't understand what, or may, may not know what's going to happen, that's one thing. But just being very confident about Dominic Cruz seems – misplaced. I, I would tend to agree. I think a lot of Dominic Cruz's resume is very dated himself. That he beat guys that have lasting effect, I think, is uh, important to note. But it's not like those guys are blowing our doors off either. I mean, two of them dropped down a division. Jorgensen has been um, not good. He's still around, but he could have easily been cut already. Um, Faber, I think, has sort of peaked, peaked a while ago. So there's a bit of there's a bit of you know um, relevancy and topicality as as such to Cruz's resume too. But what Cruz is benefiting from is that um, number one, we're finally coming to understand and appreciate what he was doing with his footwork. And I think more than that, and this is the point I made to Sean and Patrick that I think is true. It is true that the time off is just you can't overlook it. And whatever way you want to decide on this fight is up to you. Dominic Cruz, to an extent, I think was ahead of his peers. I don't want to say ahead of his time in like this grand scheming way where it'll be 20 years before we even really appreciate him. I don't think that necessarily. But he he was a couple of years, if not a few years, ahead of his peers in terms of the technical evolution that needed to happen in MMA striking um, and really mixing an offense generally um, to be very effective. It's, it's a style that's his own. Obviously, no one can just take it for what it is and make it work for them. It, it, only certain pieces can be there, but just some of the concepts and principles he was implementing, they may have been time honored in boxing, but they were completely absent in MMA and he made them work and adapted and tweaked it and made it very much his own. He was ahead of his time in that regard and that, in that little regard, it's an important one. It's not a huge one, but uh, he was there. So that his peers are beginning to catch up um, makes things much more dicey and much more even, but in fairness to Cruz, you know, he was doing things a, a while ago that no one even really even understood. Only now are we coming to appreciate it. So, so it's interesting. Neither of their resumes blow me away in that regard. I mean, they also have great resumes. Don't get me wrong, but neither has one resume where I'm like, "Wow, look at this! This guy's resume is clearly better than the other ones." Um, you know, you can lean Dominic Cruz, but Dominic Cruz's are dated. The Mizugaki wins interesting, especially in the way in which he won. Um, but look, here's the truth about Cruz versus Dillashaw. It's a lot of unknowns, man. And every fight has a certain degree of unknowns. This one has a lot of unknowns, not merely because of the time off of Dominic Cruz, but because what is his new footwork going to look like? What are we really going to see this time? We didn't get a whole lot of that against Takeya Mizugaki. How is he really going to show us? What individual things did he add to his game for TJ Dillashaw specifically? We really don't know. We don't know. Um, all we really know is TJ is kind of a little bit more offensive as a different kind of ways in which to, to get into the pocket and change stances in the middle of combinations. Okay. And Cruz is much more on his feet all, all time, dancing, darting, bumping, shifting, the, the whole bit, the whole bit. So how are those two going to match up? Someone asked me this on Facebook the other day. I have no idea. 
I have no idea. That's what's so really interesting about this fight is I think it's going to be a little bit boring early and it's going to heat up late. That's what I think. What size cage will be used? I believe it's going to be the big cage. Religion and MMA. Boy, do I not care any. Could not think of a topic I care less. Uh, Look, with Nick Diaz now cleared to fight as early as August, who would you like to see him face upon his return? Thanks. Um, And then someone writes, takes the words out of my mouth. Matt Brown, Bisping, Machida, Musasi even. Machida, I don't know about all that. Um, But Bisping, I think, would be an amazing fight, depending on how things go with him and Ashton Silva. Matt Brown would be an amazing fight. We'll see how things go with him. Musasi, I guess it depends on what's happening with him. Um, I still feel like if there's a way to make it work, and I know y'all will howl at this, I'm not saying this should be his fight in August, should he return in August. I still feel like the world needs to see a Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler rematch. Now that you've seen what Robbie Lawler looks like at this point in his career and how he's done against the Condits of the world and the McDonald's of the world and what Diaz did to him, and you know that like Lawler's not going to go for too many takedowns, man. Like you kind of know what you're going to get there. And poor Robbie Lawler's been in a thousand wars, it seems, already in his UFC title run. But um, I, I, I really, if there's any way to make it, if he loses a rematch or if he loses to Woodley or something, boy, I would love to see Diaz versus Lawler. And if there's a way to make that fight, um, the world needs to see it. I really feel like they have some, I, maybe they don't feel this way, and maybe you don't feel this way. Unfinished business is a slight exaggeration of what's actually happening, but the potential there is so great and their history is so interesting that for them to come full circle in that way, I think would be, um, I don't know, somewhat poignant almost. Lugana White just announced that Ronda Rousey would need more time and was unlikely to fight at UFC 200. Do you think she is done? No. Seems to me as if Hollywood life is becoming more and more attractive and the longer she stays away, the more likely it is that she doesn't come back. Your thoughts? Um, maybe I'm a quarter way with you on that. I don't think she's done at all. I thought the idea of coming back at UFC 200 was a disaster. To be, I mean, a, a unmitigated disaster would have been to have her fight home right away. A less disaster would have her come back at UFC 200, um, you know, without addressing some of these issues. She has movies to shoot who knows what kind of commercial spots and press obligations and everything else she's got going on that accompany those things um and then she has to return to the ufc the question for me is not her hunger the question for me is whether this is sustainable for success okay um in the time in which she's going to be training or i should say shooting these movies and doing these obligations all of her peers are going to be training to some extent um And she clearly has, obviously, is way ahead of the curve in terms of her peers in certain aspects. She is woefully behind in other ones. And I really don't know how that's going to be fixed. I mean, you could give her a year, and I'm not sure how much better it would get. Like, look how long it took TJ Dillashaw to get good at striking. Look how long it's taken Dominic Cruz to develop his style. Look how long it's taken a lot of these guys to finally get, you know, some level of accomplishment um, necessary to be able to succeed on the feet. And she doesn't have quite the same lofty needs. She just needs enough to get inside and wrap you up. And, and you know, most of the time she can make stuff happen. But nevertheless, even that is a fair amount of work. So to me, when she said she was pushing it off, I didn't get the sense that, um, you know, she was mentally quitting. I got the sense that she recognized 
Um, Rome is not going to be built in a day. It is insane to try and push all these things together. I thought it was a very prudent decision on her part, a very wise one. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I still don't think it's enough. You know, you could take all that time. She could skip 200 and not make movies, and I still don't know if she'd be ready. I mean, we're talking about a massive gap between her and Holly on the feet. So, you know, I don't know. Um, in the end, I think it's the right decision to delay. The question is not, is she done? The question is, if she does this, can she reasonably maintain um, her skills? Can she add the ones that are missing? And ultimately, uh, can she do this while her peers are not taking the sort of time off that she is? I don't know. I don't know. I find that very, very hard to believe, personally. But it's a lot better than just trying to fight home again in July. That, to me, was crazy talk from from the go. Uh, All right. Thoughts on the amount that UFC is charging fighters for violating the outfitting policy? Cowboy Cerrone has come forward and said the amount is more than $5,000. Why is the amount so high? Do you think this is shameful cash grab on Zufa's part? I don't think it's a shameful cash grab on Zufa's part. Um, look, this is a very simple situation to understand, okay? there's This is not particularly complicated. Um, if you read the justification from the UFC employee, there was a junkie article about it, I believe John Morgan wrote it, where they the UFC gives their side of things here. And what they basically say is, like, look, we have a partner here, and this partner wants to invest in the sport. And if they're going to do that, we can't just have sometimes compliance we can't just have occasional compliance. We have to have compliance at all times. And, and their argument was, in addition to that, at every time, at every interval where a fighter is expected to be in UFC gear, we have a team of equipment managers ready for them in case they're not in compliance because they lost something, something's missing. So for whatever reason, something's not right. We have an army of equipment managers dedicated to making sure that this process goes smoothly, that, in fact, they are in compliance so that they don't get fined. They don't want these guys to get fined anymore. Um, than, than you do. I don't, I don't think they take joy in finding Cowboy Cerrone for this. So all of those arguments make sense. Like when you hear that, you think, wow, she's right. If you're going to have compliance um, and you want to attract not just Reebok again for another deal, but maybe a Nike in the future or an Adidas in the future or whoever, um, you've got to do the right thing. And if you want if you want a third party on top of that, a Verizon, a Samsung, a, a Fly Emirates or whatever you want, you have to have full-on compliance. You can't just have guys doing whatever that they want. This is all true. And you have to have a, a penalty stiff enough that guys think twice about it. And I would say 5000 is pretty pretty stiff. Um, but here's the problem with everything. Number one, everything is being forced on them, the fighters, everything. They have no vote. They can't opt out of the program. It'd be one thing I said if you could do the program – you got to be in compliance, and you would say, "Wow, you know, you elected to get into the program. You kind of got to do what you elected. You, you said you were going to do." Versus someone saying, "I'm not going to be a part of that program. I'm going to opt out so I can do my own thing." Um, they had no choice. This was this th- this was conscription. This is not a volunteer. People don't like it when not only are they told to do something they don't want to do, but when there are penalties involved in it, not merely the $5,000 fine, but whatever monies have been lost as a consequence of the deal generally. And they're going to react poorly. This is basic human nature. There are going to be a number of fighters 
who are going to be disgruntled about being told what to do, especially those who took a significant loss in um, sponsorship money. That's just the beginning of this. Second of all, from where does Zufa derive the authority to do this? Right. These were employees, and this was a, an agreement between the Players Association and the UFC to uh, make sure Reebok's deal was honored fully. I, you know, you could then get into the whole NFL side of the debate about how stiff should the penalty be and how stupid is it and is it the no fun league and all the debates that the NFL side of the game has to have, but they don't ever have debates over from where does the NFL derive the authority other than if Goodell overreaches or if the fine is too much. And even then, all those guys can challenge it. Vontez Perfect is a menace on the field. He got a three-game suspension. He can still challenge that three-game suspension and get reduced to one or two or something like that. Maybe get the whole thing thrown out. Right? So those guys always have recourse. You know, these guys are independent contractors being told what to do at all times. And the equipment manager argument to me blows up in their UFC's face when they say, when they say, well, you know, we make sure these guys are always in compliance. You mean to tell me you have an army of people to dress these guys and that you're still going to look people in the face and tell them they're independent contractors. This is, this is madness. This is not merely wearing a uniform. This is not merely going to Best Buy and having a shirt that says Best Buy with a name tag that says Carl on it. This is outfitting you literally from head to toe in all circumstances where the policy calls for. So any kind of UFC sanction event. This is not a uniform deal. This is a wardrobe deal. This is a completely, this is far and beyond what a uniform deal is. This is so far beyond, this is way, way, way more than that. This is a complete wardrobe deal that was literally forced onto people who, in theory, should not have to take something like this. If they don't test it, we'll never know. But to me, I can't, you know, I just cannot believe it is 2016 and the UFC is still arguing, well, all the other sports leagues do it. Like, who do they think is falling for this argument? I can't help but laugh at it. It's bankrupt from the word go. It's nothing like the NFL's NFL's deal. It's nothing like the NHL's deal. It's nothing like MLB's deal. It's nothing like the NBA's deal. Literally nothing like the NBA's deal. What are what are you talking about? They couldn't be more dissimilar. If you, the only way that argument makes sense is if you are borderline brain dead and you refuse to ask any follow up questions about anything ever. The only way that argument makes sense is if someone says, Hey, here is the truth, and you don't ask any questions. You say, Okay, well, that makes sense. I know nothing about the outside world. I'm not going to ask you any follow up questions. Seems plausible what you're saying. It's just unbelievable. They, I mean, look, if they want to justify the policy and that's the best they can do, then I guess that's the best they can do. But it seems to me they've, they've got to find a better argument or, you know, perish the thought, uh, <laughs> you know, turn these guys into employees and then just be done with this. Can you imagine how much less I get, I get to talk about this if we just had this issue worked out? Can you imagine if the fighters finally sued just to be reclassified as independent contractors? There finally was a fighters association that dealt directly with the UFC. They negotiate all these things, whatever Reebok deals out there, whatever money is out there. They, they could do all this stuff, and we could just talk about fights. 
or, you know, mostly fights. I mean, yes, some guys are going to pop for steroids and someone's going to be in a movie at some point. Okay, fine. But can you imagine how much less, it would, can you imagine how much more awesome it would be to talk about this less? It would be fantastic. I hope they get reclassified only so that I don't have to keep talking about it. But the, the, the arguments that the UFC is making about trying to get people to invest in the sport and trying to make sure the, the policies and compliance to treat those people investing in the sport, these all make sense on the face of it. But once you peel back one or two layers, the whole argument falls apart. It just completely falls apart. They got forced to do this. They lost money in the process, the fighters. Um, they're continuing to lose money by not being in compliance with something they never should have been told to be in compliance to begin with. And they're being told that it's okay because other sports leagues do it. Other sports leagues where athletes are employees and have a collective bargaining agreement that where all this stuff is hashed out. I mean, come on, man. It's just, it's just insane. The insanity that is Nick Diaz's punishment. So the latest news is that Diaz's suspicion, uh, suspension has been reduced to 18 months and yet has still a $100,000 fine. I don't understand how he can get fined a hundred thousand dollars for something they cannot prove that he did. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys know how much I how strongly I feel about this. Let me just say a couple things. Number one, glad he's going to get back in the uh, octagon. Eighteen months is a long time, but I suppose not the end of the world. He could still get a couple more big fights and make some cash. So for that, I'm happy. Um. Also nice to see Nate Diaz back on the winning track, you know. When the Diaz brothers are on, man, the sport's exciting. There's no doubt about it. $100,000, again, is just beyond outrageous. But, uh, you know, Diaz should have the means to pay for that. So, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep at night necessarily. Um, The part that bothered me was that they made him say he invoked his Fifth Amendment constitutional rights incorrectly and some lawyers i've contacted have said that he did some lawyers i've contacted have said that he did not some lawyers i've contacted said they don't really know the matter's never really been settled in nevada in any kind of real way but just that they were so such sticklers for it because i don't know to what extent that's going to have any precedent for future um fighters or any other person who has to go before the commission any kind of administrative hearing in terms of them being able to say well we got this guy to admit that he used his fifth amendment privileges incorrectly um therefore all uses of it are incorrect is that true i don't think that's true so so i'm not sure exactly why there were such zealots about it but you know it was just very interesting to me that um yesterday's hearing they didn't talk about any of the terms they just sort of like went through with it and, and then they were on their way it sucks is the is a long story short they they cannot prove in any of those circumstances that he ever popped the guy has paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and lost however much time about his career. And I know everyone out there is like, well, you know, don't smoke marijuana. Well, he didn't in any of the time frames that he was told not to. There were times where he was told you could smoke marijuana here, or at least we know we, know we can't prohibit you from smoking marijuana here. You are prohibited from smoking marijuana here. There is no circumstance where they can prove he did it in any of those windows. None. Zero. Doesn't, doesn't exist. And um, so while I'm glad that Diaz was given some kind of positive treatment. I don't know what you want to say, but I still worry about future users. I still worry about 
them being harsh on Nick Diaz going forward. Um, perhaps they got him to admit he used it incorrectly, the Fifth Amendment, um, so that if he tries it again, they can hammer him for it. I, I don't really know. I don't know. But long story short, Nick Diaz is going to be back. He'll be back relatively soon. He's got something to train for. He's got something to believe in. I think that's important. And I also think it's important that, look, I'm not going to sit here and exaggerate the extent to which external pressure um, motivated the Nevada Athletic Commission to make some changes. But clearly, it did have some effect. Clearly, the outrage among fans, as evidenced by the petition, clearly, um, you know, uh, lawmakers speaking out in the state. You had other commission members speaking out in other states um, quite vociferously. You had a, the occasional defender of the Nevada Athletic Commission, but they were few and far between. This was not a common um, position among most observers. And I feel like that, we, truly, I mean this, you save Nick Diaz's career. That the system is still set up to ultimately overly penalize him is true. The options are take this bad deal or risk the very likely possibility you can get an even worse arrangement. Forces you into a position of weakness. And so that is true. However, that he could compete in an August card, UFC 201 or something like that, um, is evidence that the external pressure and his own legal team deserve a lot of credit for saving his career. And I think if that's a takeaway you can have, it's one I can live with. I can live with that knowing that his career didn't end that way. They didn't rob him in that way. They badly damaged him in that way, but they didn't end it that way. It seems. With that, I can I can I can swallow a bitter pill. There's a question about open scoring that's a little too long, but I'll come back and write an answer for you. Camps buying fighters. In many major sports like soccer, it is common that teams pay huge amounts of money for transfers of players. Do you think that we will come to the point where big camps have enough money from sponsors, etc., that they could actually pay other camps a transfer fee to get one of their fighters? Obviously, the fighter would also be paid by the camp to train there. For example, ATT pays Jackson Wink $2 million for John Jones or something like that. Do you think this could happen in the next 10 years? No, no chance. Because a lot of different reasons. One, the camps won't have that kind of money. Two, these teams do that under the auspices of guidelines written for them, either through UEFA or FIFA. Right? There's a rule system about how it can happen. There's a, there, are, there are windows when you can do this. There are deadlines. There, you know, Go back to Keeler Navas and David De Gea. The, 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 there's a system by which this has to happen. There's no external governing body requiring fighters and camps to be um, subject to these kinds of regulations. Moreover, fighters are very much independent creatures. What you might see is what you saw with TJ Dillashaw and the uh, Elevation Fight Team and um, Team Alpha Male, namely someone just getting poached. <laughs> I think you'll see that. You'll see guys leaving of their own accord. You'll see guys, you know, moving with their family across country and having to train camp, or change camps, or something like that. And you will definitely see guys get poached. I absolutely believe that. You'll see them get poached under the circumstances that you did with Team Alpha Male, where certainly Ludwig was going out there. Um, and so you want to be with Dwayne for, to an extent, but also you think you saw Dillashaw saying, look, these guys are going to pay me. You know, I'm going to have resources and everything else, and they're going to pay me. That that was of interest to him. Um, and they made him an offer, and he took it. And uh, I think you'll see a lot of that for sure.
Luke, the Nevada Athletic Commission has now postponed Vanderlei Silva's hearing for his lifetime MMA ban for dodging a drug test for seemingly the fourth time. What's the real reason for this? Any idea? They claim it's because they've had, I guess, some turnover within the commission or the relevant governing uh, bodies or personnel that they're trying to bring new people up to speed. That's their argument. But they've been they've been mandated by a court to, you know, swiftly adjudicate this. Uh, one wonders if you can make an argument that they haven't properly held to that standard, that requirement, that court-ordered requirement. Now, the court-ordered requirement, I'm not sure uh, what the ultimate bookend time it has to be before that um, they're in contempt of that order but um, or in defiance of the order or in contravention to it. But nevertheless, they're certainly they're, um, they're playing with fire a little bit. Uh, Luke, many like me are wondering what Connor will look like and perform like at lightweight. I suspect he'll be better suited for 155 and actually do a lot better. Everyone knows the weight cut to 145 has not been kind to his body. I do think he'll do better at 155 than 145 in many respects, but he'll also be fighting much better competition. Right. So Dustin Poirier was fighting Connor McGregor and said, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to go to lightweight. But when he went to lightweight, he started, you know, with manageable tasks. He only recently fought Joe Duffy. Conor McGregor's going right to the top. You know, in some ways that benefits him because he doesn't have to fight his way through the ranks. Um, in other ways, that crushes him because, you know, you don't get the benefit of sort of refitting into the suit um, with more manageable tasks. Dos Santos is a, is a marauder. And so he doesn't have time to really make any kind of adjustments between the two weight classes. Now, just intuitively, you would think that if someone's going to jump weight classes and try to get two belts at the same time, the most likely option would be between those two weight classes, 145 and 155, or perhaps you know 125, 135, 135, 145. Any anytime there's a 10 pound incremental difference, um, so I don't think it's such a crazy difference that it'll be some you know insurmountable task, uh, or it won't look any different at all. I mean, there'll be some changes, but Look, generally, I think his cardio is going to be good. Um, I think his, yeah, I think his speed will be great. I think it'll be speed will be totally fine for one fifty five. I think his reach is still going to be good for what his reach is great for one forty five. It's still going to be very good for one fifty five. The only question for me is to what extent he can just deal with the different kinds of skill sets he'll be facing. I think that's a much bigger issue to me than how will he physically feel. Conor McGregor will let you on fire at boxing range. Still need to see what he's going to look like against someone on the ground uh, like Dos Anjos. That, assuming, like we mentioned before, Dos Anjos goes out there and says, I'm going to go out and strike with Conor McGregor like I did with Anthony Pettis. I don't like that at all for him. I think I think McGregor's going to have bigger reach, better power. Um, he'll hit you when you're not expecting it, and it will cause major problems for you. This is not a, Anthony Pettis is, you know, different as his own unique set of threats. But... Um, Conor McGregor, I, I, I would strongly advise Dos Anjos. You are either on the outside or you are on the inside, and you are nary in between. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Someone says, Conor McGregor is not a clinch fighter. He will get overpowered and mauled on the ground at 155. 
that is a possibility you have to take seriously in the clinch Dos Anjos, I think, is going to be stronger a little bit there. That's one position where I'm not sure McGregor's going to be. It just doesn't have as many weapons. For example, we talked to Brandon Gibson about, you know, what are some of the enduring contributions of Muay Thai? We, know, we talked about all the things that it doesn't do well for MMA. But if you talk about some of the things it does do well for MMA, what are some of those things? The clinch was one of them. And that the clinch, you know, from Rafael Cordero is something that I really believe that left knee to the body as he rips down on the back of your neck and head, he's got a great, first of all, great ability to do that, and then he sets up offense off of that. Um, he can go outside and kick you. He can go outside and go to the body again. Um, he can pop you with a one-two up top. Like he's got a lot of different choices. He can throw a leg kick at the end. Boy, he's got a lot. Or he can just change levels and go back on a, on a, on a um, double against the fence anywhere else. He's nasty from there. He's got skills that I just don't, I haven't seen McGregor pull off. Um, but again, at that boxing range, I really, really worry. Like that's the only range where I'm like, the fight can end like that because of Conor McGregor. Fighter free agency trending into the future. Look, a growing trend in 2015 has been fighters fighting out their contracts and testing the waters. Do you know of any big name fighters whose contracts are up in 2016? Good question. Actually, I mean, I haven't even looked at this at all and give insight to certain individuals being able to create some future stories with their leverage. Has Dana commented on this trend at all? Dana does not make himself very available to MMA media much anymore, um, who are the sorts of folks who would ask these kinds of questions. So I don't know what he has said about it. Um, let me say a couple of things here, because it's on my mind, because I'm going to be going to the Bellator Freak Show event in um, Houston. And 2015 was a very interesting year for Bellator because they had some grand things go on um, and they made a lot of strides. But one of the things that, they, that Scott Cooker told me at that Kimbo fight, if you recall, was you know, at that moment we spoke, the free agency market was a little bit quiet, but that it would be opening up soon. Okay, well, here is a first real indication that it's open. You've got who was out there? Sterling's out there, Overeem's out there, Henderson's out there, and others as well. If we go this entire free agency period with none of those guys getting signed, That would seem like a bad thing for Bellator, would it not? I mean, you don't have to sign every single person at every single interview inter interval, excuse me, of uh, free agency. But that that you know, UFC is going to make some adjustments. Fighter pay might go up a little bit. Contracts might be longer, seven, eight, nine fight deals. You know, I don't know how many chances they're going to get to get big names like this um, in this kind of pocket. So it'll be interesting to see who, who Bellator snatches up. Um, if anyone, and if they don't, not a great, I don't know. I don't want to make too much of it, but I think at least one of those guys might go, right? You're going to let all three walk maybe, but in any case, I don't know if anyone's in 2016 that are coming up because this is not an issue that I've thought about. There's other things I've been thinking about for 2016, but it's a fair question. It's something I'll keep in mind and to the extent I know about it. I will share that information here, but I just want to see how. 2016 should be a year where, you know, you're not going to see UFC let this go on too much longer. Right? I mean, they can't stop you from finding out your contract. There are certain limits about what they can and can't do. But um, I suspect they're going to make some changes to make the act of trying it um, less interesting to members of their roster. Either by giving them the kind of money that they're looking for and they don't even have to worry about it or uh, – um, you know, signing into a longer deal in the process, something. We'll see. Other thing to keep in mind is McGregor. 
Got to watch this kid. I'm telling you, man. I don't know what is going to happen in the future, but the way in which he talks himself about himself and he asserts his value, maybe it won't be 2016, maybe it'll be 2017. And if he loses, you know, he puts this back a little bit. But if he keeps winning, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he's going to do something different. Will he set up his own production or promotion company like boxers do, like Canelo promotions or Mayweather promotions, have McGregor promotions, and then have a technically a co-promoted event? Most of these boxing events that you think are just t- Top Rank or Golden Boy are often co-promoted events. You know, UFC has never said they're going to cross that line. Well, they never had McGregor either. You know, McGregor goes out there and becomes the first guy to hold two belts at the same time. And you could say, well, that'll only affect McGregor. Mm. In the short run, it'll only affect McGregor. But once they, if he's able to get UFC to cross that line to be able to say, we, okay, we have to co-promote with this guy to get a deal done. You know, you are beginning to break down um, to an extent the architecture in place that keeps some of these guys locked into what there are. It's just, you know, a smaller version of themselves anyway. And again, I don't want to be overly suggestive that this will have, you know, ramifications for some guy at the bottom making eight and eight. But um, as a general look into the control that Zufa exercises over these independent contractors, McGregor is going to be another component to that puzzle. Um, a component of that picture anyway, in understanding how that could be somewhat eroding both at the bottom and the top. Or in the middle. True or false? UFC 197 does over a million pay-per-view buys with ease. Nick Diaz fights at UFC 200. No, false. Um, Weidman is really happy that he lost his championship. I bet he is to an extent. I will not stand in line to buy Powerball tickets along with the other donks. You know me too well. My friend was like, hey, did you buy any Powerball tickets? And I was like, I don't know. Did you get eaten by sharks on the way home? Chances are about the same. Uh, people who are about people who are upset about CM Punk's video game rating most likely live in their parents' basement. No. And let's talk about that for a second. That is false. The reason why I, I couldn't believe CM Punk saying this Getting out there being like, people are all butthurt over a video game. No, they're not. They're not. See, that's actually not what they're upset about. What they're upset about is when we have to change what we're looking at to give, you know, what do you want to call it? Say, make a wish foundation operation. I mean, he's not sick, but that's that's this is this is what this is. This is a total gift for someone who has no claim whatsoever to not even being at this level but the level below that the level below that and the level below that when you do that when you force people who don't like that to make when when when, when people are forced to make accommodations for that there I mean you can say whatever you want about well this is entertainment it's not sport no kind of is sport that's why people are bitter about this And when you do that, when you foment that kind of feeling among members of the fan base, even in a fantasized world where these things should not matter, where you can play Predator in Mortal Kombat or whatever the case may be, that animosity bleeds over when they're given a rating alongside of someone else that is a high-level MMA fighter. It's got nothing to do with the video game. It's got more to do with the lingering feelings and being uneasy about the whole thing that bleeds over into the video game. It's not about the video game at all. It's about you. That's what it's about. 
And he seems like a fine guy. I don't know him. He see, uh, you know, if he wants to go out and do this, and the UFC is going to let him, I certainly understand why he would want to. To me, it would have been a much better fit for Bellator. Still, would have gotten big ratings. They could have much more easily found somebody um, to fight him. I mean, the UFC will find someone too. This Mickey Gall character, or who somebody else, but it wouldn't feel like this forced thing, this 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 square peg into a round hole that you get now. That incongruity causes people not to feel all that great about it. And when a game comes up, even in a fantasized world, the mere idea of him being on the same level as someone like even like Francis Carmont, it's offensive. It's like you got. I mean, come on. I know we're just joking here, but like, what for real? Come on, man. <laughs> it's, you know, not even a single UFC fight, not even a single MMA amateur fight. And you got a 85 out of 100? No, you got an 8 out of 100. 8.5 if you're, if you know, if I'm feeling generous. So, so you know, I saw what he said. Like, oh, people are butthurt over a video game. No, sorry. You're wrong about this one. No, they're not. They're not. That's not how it works at all. They are upset about the idea of you being allowed into something that, other than your celebrity, you would have zero claim on. It bothers some people because some people still, however quaint in some fans' minds, they like the idea of meritocracy. We are also living at a time in the sport where, yes, Conor McGregor goes and says these amazing things and and crazy things and these celebrated and debatable things. And Conor McGregor's out there achieving interesting things too. Like you've noticed everyone's real quiet about well, how, how would McGregor do against this guy, against that guy? I even went on here and I was like, well, Conor McGregor, I mean, I think, I don't know if you answered the wrestler question, but it's not like the liability that people thought was there is simply not there. He has other skills he can work with, and also his boxing and his striking and his power is otherworldly. Uh, and you saw people being like, well, I'm not so sure I really saw that question answered. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. For the most part, you basically did. Maybe against a, a murderer like RDA, it won't go so well. But, you know, generally speaking, it's not a, it's not a fight-to-fight concern that really... I have to think too much about with Conor McGregor. Um, the guys out there achieving amazing things. This is a, 2015 and maybe 2016 is a time because I finally feel like the sport has gotten better. This is why Bellator very much feels like this is not strike force, man. It never was, but 2015 made it feel really distant, really alternative. In some ways, that Japanese play kind of kind of outdated, if I'm being honest. Because the UFC has is is MMA got better. Everyone just seems to think that like they just did the exact same thing and they just waited for everything to get better. No, the techniques are getting better, the training's getting better, the fighters are getting better. UFC's doing their part, at least more more recently, to make and showcase these kinds of things. We've gotten lucky, of course, to an extent too. But the the quality of fights you're seeing today are much, much higher than than what they were in 2011 and 2012. Like the 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 the, the leaps are still tremendous and as UFC cuts out more fat that's becoming more noticeable too and then you get this guy who is a year late on whatever promise he was going to make has less experience than even Mickey Gall who you know what what's he going to do even when he beats CM Punk he won't be able to beat anyone else unless they just bring in more guys like him which I am not okay with you know not my organization but not my sanctioning either and then he's like oh people are mad over a video game no dude they are not they are not mad about a video game they are mad about you Reebok deal. Look, do you think that in, in light of the... Ooh, let's go to Twitter, actually, and I'll come back to this. 
let's see here. On the Twitter machine. You can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Did you hear about Metamoris? Did you hear that I wrote an article about it? Who would you face at Metamoris or EBI? Rogan, Smith, CM Punk, Wagonheim, or Chuck Mendenhall? None of them, because no one wants to see me do that. Y'all, I'm still working on my back. You realize that? I'm still working on my back. It's, 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 I banged it up real bad, man. It's not doing too good. Uh, as draconian as Zufa typically is, keep this in mind, Kung Lee won his steroids case against them. Only because they were so lax in procedure. That won't that is very unlikely to happen again. Uh if the fighters don't like the Reebok deal, just leave. Where are they gonna go? People think the UFC like fighters could just like leave en masse if they all fought out their contracts. Bellator can't absorb them. World Series of Fighting can't absorb them. Do you all read Paul Gift's reporting? I mean, Viacom makes money and UFC makes money. Outside of that, I don't think anyone in the game makes money. Not much, anyway. Isn't it harsh that Nate Diaz was fined for jeans on weigh-ins, but fighters are allowed to wear suits during media week? Again, it's part of a policy that it was forced on them. You can, you can of course, continue to point out things that are unfair towards the fighters. And I'm going to keep pointing out that um, I don't disagree with you. Yes, it is unfair, but uh, what do you want me to do? I can't. The media can affect some things as it relates to fighters' rights. The media can affect some things as it relates to helping free agency. But I'm not, ultimately, I'm not your advocate I can be an advocate in certain circumstances where it's acceptable because I'm talking about a fact, but I can't be your advocate. I'm not here to organize you all and help you with your court proceedings. It's entirely your responsibility. Someone says, we love Barbas, but take the uh, bells off before the show. It's his collar. He's got like a thousand tags on it. You have to have in DC, you have to have like a tag for various inspections and everything else. You wind up looking like Mr. T. If McGregor wins versus Dos Anjos, has Connor got the audacity to ask for a fight with Robbie Lawler? I don't think he'd get it, but yes, I think he would. What do you think about Messi? What do you, what do you think about Adidas wanting Messi to join Manchester United? Thumbs down for Manchester United. Thumb down, thumbs down for uh, Messi. Um, is there a reason why there's no World Series of Fighting 28 being announced while there's a 27 and 29? No, there's not. Can you clarify if both belts are on the line at 197? It would be impossible for both belts to be on the line at 197. The Alley Act petition and the official Reebok, Reebok boycott. To what extent do you think these initiatives can be effective? Certainly the Reebok boycott one, I don't think will be very effective other than to create bad PR. 
And then conversely, I don't think the Alley Act petition will be all that effective other than to generate awareness for their efforts to get the Alley, I mean, uh, the Alley Act to extend over into um, MMA. Someone says, are you surprised that Connor isn't holding a belt in the promo materials for UFC 197? No, why would he be? He is a non-title holder at lightweight. Please rate the following in descending order of greatness. Lawler Condit, Lawler McDonald, Hendo Huo One, and Jones Gus. Oof, that is tough. Those are all good. I'll just rate this. Okay, here's what I'll rate this as. Personal enjoyment. So I'll go Hendo Huo One, Lawler McDonald, Lawler Condit, Jones Gus. All right. Is there anyone you would pick to win over John Jones? I mean, we'll see what it looks like when he comes back. Maybe Verdum is the guy who could do it because he is big. But, you know, I truly believe that when it's all said and done, um, John Jones is the best fighter we've ever seen. That's what I believe. All right, Luke Reebok deal. Do you think that in light of the draconian penalties fighters have been forced to endure with dress code violations, fighter pay, etc., that we will be seeing more fighters jump ship to competing organizations like Bellator and Ryzen? You're not going to see anyone jump ship to Ryzen. I, don't, I mean, we don't even know if Ryzen is fly-by-night or not. Very much unproven. So we'll see how that goes. And you might see some go to – this is what I'm talking about with Bellator, though. 2016, they need a couple of big free agent acquisitions, don't you think? They can't keep – I mean, Kimbo's got only so many fights left in him. Shamrock and Gracie, huh, I mean, this could be the only one left. So they got to do something, man, to, to you know, make a big splash. And, um, you know. Romero, thoughts on his potential USADA violation. How does this affect the middleweight division? Man, this is so bad because I thought Romero was the easy choice for candidate – for title shot. I know Wyman's out there asking for a rematch. I find that deeply uncompetitive. Come here, buddy. Come here. Come here, come here, come here. All right. Um, so I thought the Romero choice was the best one. You know, then you could say, well, Vitor, what about that? But that's just a squash match at this point. It's not that interesting to me, um, even with Belfort's recent, you know, what do you want to call it? Looking a little bit better than normal, I suppose. Not not counting the Wyman fight. Um, so then you say, well, you could do Jacare. He, you know, fought that fight to a split decision, but I didn't think he looked all that good against Romero, to be honest. I mean, you could do it. It wouldn't be the end of the world, but it just wouldn't be awesome. Um, and then I guess you could say the winner of Silva Bispin could do it. You know, folks were asking me, well, what would it take for Anderson Silva to be a title contender? Well, Turns out that Jacare losing in a fight that Yoel Romero was on something for in a world where um, in that world and the chaos that it causes, yeah, you can get a scenario where all of a sudden Anderson Silva maybe isn't that too far from a title. Now, that's a big if. If Michael Bisping beats him, then that's all gone too. But if Michael Bisping wins, then what do you do? Because you already seen Michael Bisping versus Luke Rockhold. It wasn't all that competitive. Bisping getting finished. 
This one would get the title shot he always wanted. He would talk a big game. He would talk about what he did differently. But ultimately, that's not very competitive and um, not nearly as much of a big selling point as uh, Silva. Again, don't misunderstand me. Bisping would make it a hell of a fun fight, even if you know he was outmatched in the end. But yeah, it's it's he he really ruined some things here, Romero, very much so. As for his potential violation, you know we'll see how it goes and see what comes of it. True false. McGregor's only chance to win against RDA would be by KO. That's his most likely. It's not his only. Dos Anjos beating McGregor wouldn't be an upset. That's true. It would not be. If I was an odds maker, I would put RDA as the favorite. Barely, but yes. Dos Anjos is McGregor's toughest fight so far in his career. Let's talk about that in a second. True. McGregor will have the size advantage over RDA. I think slightly. Yes, slightly. Certainly the reach advantage. I think he's got like a four-inch reach advantage, which is not insignificant. Um, let's talk about that last part. And I mentioned it before. Everyone's kind of real quiet about McGregor's resume now. I mean, you can say whatever you want about who he hasn't fought at featherweight. There's no one at featherweight tougher than Dos Anjos. Now, the featherweight component obviously adds in the weight cutting, which has a tremendous effect on performance, maybe at least some kind of effect on performance. You, know, you don't see it in a 13-second fight, but it's real. But there is no one at featherweight, not Frankie Edgar, not anybody else, tougher than Dos Anjos. Sorry, it doesn't exist. He does not exist. This is the toughest fight to date that Conor McGregor could take, period. Period. Dos Anjos is a is a bad dude. And if Conor McGregor beats him, look out, bro. Look out. For real. That is going to be out of control. In the good way, but out of control. You know, and if he loses to this is my point. Like if McGregor goes up to lightweight and he loses to Dos Anjos, so what? So what? Who cares? All right, you went up to lightweight, you fought the best guy they have, and it didn't go so well. So what? Or you go up there and you give him a tough fight. Didn't work out in the end, but you know you you made a strong account of yourself. He can still have all the super fights he wants down there or up there, I should say. He has a huge opportunity and a big you know um, wave of momentum he could still ride. So for me, this is this is no lose. I mean, the only way McGregor loses here is if he gets brutally hurt, you know, gets a you know concussion or he gets some kind of injury where he's out for an extended period of time. Other than that, McGregor can't lose here. He just can't. He can either beat Dos Anjos. He could beat him soundly. He could lose soundly. You know, he could take a like an Anthony Pettis level beating. But um, even then, I would still say, so what? So what? That's the featherweight king. You know? He, oh, he can't hold two UFC titles at one time? Wow. What a loser. No one would ever say that. To me, the, Conor McGregor has basically already won. We'll see how, how he walks out of that fight with RDA. You know, if he wins and he's injured, that would be kind of a complicating debate about whether it was worth it or not. But, um, you know, short of injury, I don't see how he loses here. I really don't. You know, he's already won by virtue of the fact that he was able to force a promoter's hand, again, along their own interests for the most part. He was able to force a promoter's hand to get what he wanted. I find that to be very, you know, he set up a no-lose scenario. At, for a UFC title. I mean, it's just like mind-boggling what he's been able to do. Good question. BJ Penn at Jackson Wink. Any info on whether he's returning to the octagon? I haven't heard yet. I've asked around. Um, who do you match him up with? I don't I don't want to see him back at all. And I'm just going to make this unequivocally clear. Now, look, you can say, well, look, you're really wrong about Arlovsky. Many of us were very wrong about Arlovsky. Look how he was able to come back and have a second career. 
our second chapter in his career. Now, it didn't go so well against Steve Miocic, but so what? Like, he did a lot better than we thought he was going to do. And this is true. However, there are extenuating circumstances at heavyweight where guys are able to have careers much longer, much later into their lives. We're talking about lightweight, presumably. The toughest division in the sport. And you're talking about a guy who has historically, yes, you could say, well, he hasn't trained all that well. I spoke to many members of his camp prior to um, the second Edgar fight, I want to say, that told me that um, you know he wasn't training very hard at all. You know, I mean, he was training hard, but not like you're supposed to. And so you could say, well, if you can just fix that, that's fine. But this is a youthful division. Um, he, Penn, in my judgment, has an antiquated skill set because he really only relies on offensive takedowns, offensive jiu-jitsu pressure, and boxing. That is not enough. You look at RDA, he can be threatening or effective at a bunch of different ranges, Conor McGregor notwithstanding, um, in ways Penn cannot. We talked about guys who just focus on that boxing, the Lawlers, the Dos Santoses, um, to an extent, the, to an extent, the Gustafsons, you know, they can get very far, but they keep coming up short. Now, imagine someone who has already those limitations, plus a lot of miles on them, you know, and a hill to climb that is immeasurably steep. Don't want to see it. I'm not interested in it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If you can go in there and look okay, great, fine, awesome. Obviously, I would never wish him any harm. I don't wish him any harm, but I am not interested in guys coming out of retirement because they don't like the way things ended before because they've got regret nah not interested in it man that doesn't do a whole lot for me if i'm just being honest so i don't know what they're going to do with it but b japan was at one time my favorite fighter and for many reasons is deserving of everyone's uh admiration and respect but as far as resuming a fight career i got zero interest let's see Someone asking about AJ Agazarm and Ben Askren. Um, I think it's a fun matchup. I think Ben Askren's a little bit bigger. And Agazarm takes risks. So does Askren. So I expect a ton, a metric ton of scrambles in that one. What are your thoughts on adding overtime to MMA like they had it for the flyweight tournament? It is exciting for fans and judges. It can be more liberal knowing there won't be a draw. But it wouldn't work at scale. If you had 12 fights on a card, hell, even five fights on a card, you couldn't afford to have these extra rounds go in there um, and be able to get out on time. You would have to drastically reduce the kind of cards you're putting together. So it would affect the business model. To the extent they can do it on occasion, sure, why not try something interesting that way? But um, as a matter of course to solve bad judging or you know uh, close fights, um, it's not it's not something you can replicate at scale. Uh, last one here. Most exciting storyline. Which of the biggest out of the case storylines in 2016? Connor versus UFC power struggle, Reebok errors and fallout, fighters in free agency. You saw the drug tests. I'm going to say fighters in free agency and Connor uh, versus UFC at, at one. You saw the three, Reebok four. I really, a lot of noise is made about Reebok. I don't know what substantive actions anyone plans on taking to make anything different. So I hear a lot of belly aching. I don't hear a lot of anything else but, but belly aching. And then here's my board dog. All right. So with him being bored and with me being done here, let me apologize again for getting this started late. Had some complications with Google. Thank you so much for watching. Um, if there's anything for me to correct, like I started today's chat, anything for me to correct next time, please let me know. Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. I always appreciate the corrections. Got to make sure we get it right. And uh, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Give it a thumbs up. Let folks know you're watching. 
Really appreciate it. We're on iTunes.com slash promotional mob practice and of course on SoundCloud slash the Luke Thomas. Until next time, my friends, thank you so much for watching. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Stay frosty. <laughs>